Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. Our Advent sermon series this year is The Cast of Christmas. The title of Dr. Fenton's sermon today is Discovering Christmas or Christmas Discovering Us. The big idea is using the story of the wise men to illustrate that we never discover the Christian faith. Rather, God uses people and events to reveal himself to us. Thank you again this morning and uh, experience the immense talent that you have in this church through your musicians and through uh, the different expressions of worship. This is an amazing church. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, we'll read the first 12 verses. A very familiar passage of Scripture. Begins with, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Jerusalem, excuse me, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has spoken. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the child, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened up treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. In some sense, we're, uh, we're all seekers. But not everybody finds. And one of the most frustrating things that can lead to despair is seeking and not finding. There's an event from uh, my childhood that really for years hung heavy over me. My father was a bivocational minister and there was a time that he, short time, that he was helping a new congregation start. It was a mission type congregation. 
There were 25 to 30 people there each week. On the second or third Sunday we were there, there was a gentleman by the name of Chuck that came in and it was his first time there. My father, because it was a new congregation just starting and was familiar with most of the people, asked the people if you would like to come to church a few minutes early, come and kneel around the altar and be in prayer for the service and the establishment of the church. Well, as soon as Chuck knew that they were going to have prayer every Sunday, he was there. He was often the very first one in the altar. He would pray fervently. There was an intensity to his prayer and I can remember, even though it wasn't loud and overwhelming, you knew that he was really seeking God. And it, it was a moving time. After the service, my father would often say to the congregation, if anyone here would like to have special prayer, I'll be here and pray with you after the service. And anything you'd like to visit about, I'm here. That always bothered me because that meant we were getting home for lunch very late. <laughs> because often, often those times would take 30 or 45 minutes. But once Chuck started, I knew it was going to be a long time because Chuck would meet both my father. They would gather at the front of the church and then maybe someone else would meet with them. And they would end their time in prayer. And maybe 45 minutes later, we were going home. I knew enough. Not to, uh, not to ask my father what Chuck was seeking in his life. That seemed very confidential between my, my father and him. But there was one Sunday, three or four, five, six weeks later. It was at the start of the service. He came down, the, I came and knelt at the front and was praying. And then suddenly Chuck got up. He said, I give up. I'm never going to find it. I quit. He walked out, down the aisle, out of the doors of the church. A gentleman followed him, but you heard the car start quickly, and he drove off. Never saw Chuck again. The next few Sundays, everyone would ask my father, have you seen Chuck? Do you know what's happening to him? Anything we can do to help? My dad would always say, well, there's nothing that uh, I know that we can do. I know I don't know where he is. Just keep praying for Chuck. We were there not too many, year, too many months until we moved. Jump ahead 25, 30 years. My father was in, uh, uh, in the process of terminal cancer and we had some conversations about things that had happened in our childhood in his ministry. And one day I said to him, Dad, do you ever know what happened to Chuck? He said, you remember Chuck? And I said, yes, I do. And he says, I don't know. He said, Chuck's a tragic figure. Never, find what he, never found what he was looking for. And then I could see from the expression on my father's face that we didn't need to pursue that conversation any further. Because 
there was a sense of failure there that my father had. And it was one of the reasons we never discussed it throughout the years. Chuck came to church looking in some way for an encounter with the true and living God and didn't experience it. Have you ever been there? Has that ever happened to you? Maybe, maybe your heart's been heavy. could be happening today. Your heart's been heavy and, and you come to church and you, you want to know this God and you want him to be real to you and you pray and nothing happens. You come two or three weeks, nothing happens. And then you keep coming more out of a sense of habit or maybe your family wants you to and you've sort of given up on that search for God and you walk through the routine. But that same despair that entered Chuck's life enters your life. The reason that was sort of heavy over my life was I counterbalanced that with some other scripture. Jesus said, uh, ask and it shall be given to you. Knock, and you shall find. You know, seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. And it's sort of that promise that if you, if you really desire it, it's going to be there. And Jesus said in Gospel according to Matthew, excuse me, Gospel according to John, verse 14, chapter 14, verse 13, says, you know, whatever you ask in my name will be given to you. In the book of James, half-brother of our Lord, who obviously had seen and tradition has had that he didn't become a believer till after the cross and the resurrection. He says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And there was these two realities in my life, the promise of scripture, but there was also what I had seen in Chuck's life and to be honest, in moments it occurred in my life. For there were times that it seemed that God wasn't real. He was distant and he was away. Is there a word from God that helps us balance these two experiences as life and puts this into process? Is there a word for God for seekers? From God for seekers? There is. It's found in the Christmas story. You're familiar with it. Very very familiar passage. The wise men or the magi, they come to Jerusalem looking for the Messiah. They want to encounter him. The background of the magi, more than likely they were from a small tribe in the area of what used to be Persia. There was a small group there who went by the name of the magi group or the magi tribe who spent their time studying philosophy, medicine, general sciences, and astrology. And they were sort of the go-to group for wisdom in that area, and that's one of the reasons that we call them the wise men. And at that time in history, there was a great expectation that everything was about to change. There were 
Jewish people living in that part of Persia because that's where the Babylonian captivity took place. And so these wise men would have heard the Jewish congregation speak of, uh, speak of an anticipated birth of a Messiah. And they knew a little bit of that and they had studied all of these other sources of wisdom. And about that time, there was a star appeared and we don't know exactly what and how, but it was an unusual star in the sky. And they said, maybe this is the indication, maybe this is, maybe this is all fitting together and we've heard prophecies that the Jews have about a possible new, new Messiah. And so they worked their way towards Jerusalem. They come to Jerusalem and they began to ask residents there, where is he, the one that's born king of the Jews? Word gets to Herod. And Herod, Herod says he wants to find him too, but he's a different kind of seeker. Herod, Herod is a corrupt political leader. Yet at the same time, the economy was good under him, so they tolerated him. And he was, he was corrupt in what he did to his family and he was very, in very much of an evil man. But he says, I want to know where this new king is, is because I want to worship him as well because you're wise, you wise men came to worship him. Will you go find him? And he gathers the chief priests together and he says, I want you to look through the prophecies and tell me where this child is to be born. And they said, well, he's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And they quote the scripture to him. And so he meets with the wise men. He says, you go find him. And after you find him, you come back to me that I may worship him. Well, we know that was not Herod's intent to worship him. Herod wanted to destroy him. Herod wanted to use him for his benefit. We do not know exactly all that he had in mind, but he wanted to destroy the Christ and take advantage of it for selfish purposes. The wise men go to Bethlehem. The scripture says they see the star over the house where Jesus and Mary are, and they walk in and they kneel or bow is the word then. New Testament uses, and that word for bow, in its original meaning, meant that you fall prostrate on the floor, your face down. It's been a part of Jewish history, but it was even more part important in the portion of the world that they came from, because you did that when you worshiped their imaginary gods, or you were in the presence of a powerful king, and by Falling on your face, you were acknowledging, I'm under your submission. They fell on the floor. Then they presented the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they worshipped him. They were seekers. They found him. Then they were warned in a dream not to go back to Jerusalem, but to avoid Herod. 
And when you know the rest of Herod's life, you know he never found him. Oh, at times he had to deal with things that, with the Jewish people and with, with traditions and all of that, but he never encountered the true and living God. Now, taking those two stories of seekers, the wise men and Herod, putting them together, what do we learn for our own life? We learn that people who seek the true and living God to worship, find him. Those who seek him for selfish purposes do not. Sounds simple, but it's true. When you think about why you came to worship today, and you know we're all in this process of faith, Sometimes, oh, I know we all say, well, we came to worship God today. But did you? Did you really? Sometimes we don't. You know, sometimes we come out of selfish purposes. And our selfish purposes, they can be good. There's perhaps there's a hurt in our life. There is a, there's something that's causing us pain from a family relationship, maybe a financial problem. And we come hoping that somehow God will give us an answer to our problem. God will heal our bodies, our minds, our relationships in our life. And we come hoping that that happens. And yet, we're to come to worship him. And we often come with selfish intention in mind. And I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. Because we've all done that. Because it's not a thing that you settle once forever. You're still dealing with it every time you come to church and come to worship. When I was pastor in Tyler, Texas, our church had a television ministry that was on Sunday morning. A lady called me one week and wouldn't give me her name. She said, I want to talk to the pastor. And they put her through to me. And she said, uh, uh, I, I want to know a little about your church. She said, uh, We've been going to another church, and uh, things just didn't work out. So I said, tell me what you mean by things just didn't work out. She said, well, we had all kinds of problems when we started going to church there, and we still have all kinds of problems. Okay. I said, tell me what kinds of problems. And it, Basically, she was looking for the prosperity gospel to be given to her. She was looking for something where they all of their problems would go away and they would be happy and healthy instead of being holy the rest of their lives. And she was, she was rather direct with how she said it. And I tried to explain to her what our church was about. And she says, and, and, and before, I, before I let you go, she says, I've heard you say you didn't grow up Baptist. I said, yes, I didn't. I grew up in another denomination. She said, do you think that would be a good church for us to go to? Well, I said, I'm not so sure. And then, unfortunately, she said, you know anything about the Mormons and Catholics? And I thought, what are you looking for? She wasn't looking for a place to encounter God. She was a little more open and brazen with her wording of it than most of us have been at times. But it was saying, God didn't do what I want but I'm still looking for what I want. That process of examining our hearts and our minds, oh, that's, that's painful, 
but it's part of coming to authentic worship. There's sort of three questions that you can, that you can ask yourself when you're dealing with this issue. Number one, ask yourself, am I only looking for God to solve a problem? Is that why I'm coming to church? And if you are, you probably need to move a little away from that. And then if you ask yourself the second question, do I only serve him when I get what I want? Remember, worship is not just what we do in here. It's not just the hymns we sing, the courses we sing. It's, it's part of Christian services worship as well and do you find you only worship when God is giving you exactly what you desire and third ask yourself are you looking for God to solve your problem but are you willing to admit that you are the problem that a holy God is the answer it's not some small Bible verse that's going to explain everything to you. But do you really come wanting to know the true and the living God? In the process of asking yourself those questions, you're also asking and, and providing answers of what authentic worship is. When you look upon the wise men, worship. We don't have a description of any kind of worship experience. We don't know whether it was traditional or whether it was contemporary. But we know it was authentic because they bowed their hearts, they gave their gifts, Matthew, I think, deliberately doesn't go into details what that encounter because we cannot imagine that was something that just lasted two or three minutes. It was an encounter that absolutely changed their life. We would like to know what happened to the wise men after that. We really don't know because that's not part of the story that Matthew is telling. He's telling about God becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us so that we could encounter him. When I was pastor of First Baptist Church, Stillwater, Oklahoma, we were located not far from the campus of Oklahoma State University. And I had numerous conversations with college students who were dealing with faith questions and sometimes I just wanted to talk and, and I like to talk too and we'd spend two or three hours with them. And there were students who wanted you to prove that there was a God They'd want you to prove that God was interested in their life. And, and I found that I was, in some ways, doing pastoral work, but not all of it was profitable for the kingdom of God. It was just sort of answering questions, and you had the feeling that these were students, some occasionally, some were seekers, and others were, were just there getting to, getting to know the, how your take on the questions. I met with an older pastor who had much more experience than I was with college students and I said to him what, how, do you, how, how do you handle this he said well I've learned through the ages through my last few years he says once that I deal with people 
and have met with them two or three times and figure out, you know, that they're genuinely interested, I usually ask them sort of a hypothetical situation. I say to them, I can't prove this to you, but if I could prove it. If I could prove to you that there really is a God, and I could prove to you that that God is personal, meaning you can know him, and third, that that God desires a relationship with you. And again, I can't prove it, but if I could, would you believe in that God? Would you give him your life? He said, I find that question often sorts out. He says, you can sort of see from the response that sometimes they'll say, well, no, and you know they were just asking for information's sake. But if you know they're a real seeker, they would say, well, if I was certain of that, I could give that kind of God my heart and my life and all that I have. They're a genuine seeker. Why did you come to worship today? I know in this process this is sort of, it's personal and it's dealing with who we are, but it's something we struggle with every day. When you come during this Christmas season to worship, for the programs and the ministries of this church, come with a heart and a desire to truly encounter the living God, not just to get some kind of problem taken away. Because you see, in the process of seeking for God, God's been seeking for you longer than you've been looking for him. God has been pursuing you. That's why he sent his son and his son became flesh. He's been seeking you. He sent his spirit in your life to make you aware and convict you of your sin. God is at work in your life. For in the process, we are not actually discovering God. God is discovering us. He wants to make himself known during this Christmas season. May you find and experience the God that you're looking for, the God of the Bible, the one who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Let's pray together. Father, you know our hearts, and that frightens us, because at times we wish you would just know about us what we try to project about us, but you see the words we hide behind, the traditions that we've learned by heart, the Christmas celebrations that... Uh, we smile and act as if they're meaningful, but sometimes we're just going through them in routine fashion. You do know our heart, Lord. And you know our heart is the problem. 
It's selfish, self-centered. And we think the whole world and universe is about us and we even want you to be our servant because you're all powerful and we think if we encounter you, you can work for us. But today, Lord, we become, we come before you as needy people. We recognize that not only are we inadequate to solve our problems, we're really inadequate to even come before you and worship you, yet you have invited us. You are here and present among us. You have welcomed us into your presence. Father, may our encountering of you today not be just a one-time experience, but may it continue for the rest of our life. Father, we know there'll be ups and downs, and, but may it be very secure in who we are in you. Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work. Thank you.